last night, went to Dollar General for something, ice cream, for the brownies. And um, it was very weird. It was a very weird vibe. There were all these muscle cars in the parking lot. And when we started walking towards the store, one of them did that, like, that thing Revving where they thing. tried to speed off. No, they yeah. like, tried to speed off, and then, like, their car, like, turned, and you could hear it, like, drifting on the gravel, and it was weird. Just the entire... Yeah. And then the random storm. You had a storm last night? No, 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 the other day. Oh. Okay, you all know exactly who you are, who you, who you who are. are. I hope you know I'm who Rachel you are. I'm Rachel and that's Grace. Welcome back to Myths and Misfortunes. We're not going into it. Nope, we are not going into it. Because that statement made complete and total sense. Where are we today? Today, we are in Texarkana, Arkansas. <laughs> I'm sorry, look can you even see how purple this is? Mm, a little bit, yeah. It looks like communion it is wine. It's so purple. It is so purple. Merlot. Mm. I don't know how so I feel pretty about close. it. <laughs> yeah, pretty close. I'm used to cab, not Merlot. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Okay, Texarkana, All right. Arkansas. Texarkana, Arkansas. All right. This history is very short. Um, I knew it would be. comes from... Yeah, Texarkana. I feel like I feel weird saying Texarkana. Texarkan. Te- my his my sources are Wikipedia. That's mm-hmm. it. Yep. Okay. I, I really couldn't find a lot on, on uh, like at all before eighteen twenty. Mm. Like nothing. understandable. Yeah. Nothing about who was in the area before or how they how anybody settled there. Just. Mm-hmm. That's it. It just popped up so, one day. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yep. <laughs> so the Texarkana Metropolitan Statistical Area, or MSA for short, is a two-county mm-hmm. region anchored by the twin cities of Texarkana, Texas, and Texarkana, Arkansas. And um, there's so there's Bowie County, Texas, and Miller County, Arkansas. Yep. The name is derived from Texas, Arkansas, and nearby Louisiana. So I'm just going to focus on Arkansas for this one, obviously. Yeah. Miller County was formed in 1820 to honor James Miller, Arkansas's first governor. When Miller County was formed, the location of the line dividing the county and the Mexican boundary wasn't certain. So it was thought by settlers that Arkansas levied and collected taxes on land that might actually be held by Mexico. Mm-hmm. So there's a lo- there was a lot of tension between Texas and Mexico at the time, and and with Texas and with the U.S. So once the Republic of Texas was formed, because of land disputes, Miller County was abolished, but they oh. were formed in 1873. Eventually, on October 17th, 1880, 
nearly seven years after Texarkana, Texas um, was incorporated, Texarkana, Arkansas was incorporated as a city. The two cities are divided by State Line Avenue. Though the two cities have separate municipal governments, they're um, integrated, like, economically and socially. Uh, Marketing and distribution point uh, for... It's... It's a marketing and distribution point for the surrounding agricultural area. Um, They've got a lot of industry, like, manufacture of wood products, tank cars, tires, paper, and food. Uh, It's also a railroad and bus terminal. One of the most popular places to visit is the downtown Texarkana Federal Courthouse, which was built in 1933. And it's located directly on the Texas-Arkansas state line. It's like the only federal office building to straddle a state line. Really? It's cool. It's actually really cool. (laughs) It's also the city's only post office, which is funny to me. I don't know why. Uh, it said that it's the second most photographed federal courthouse in the United States, only behind the federal courthouse in Washington, D.C. Um, Texarkana, Arkansas is also home to the Four States Auto Museum that contains a rotating display of vehicles with a lot of decades of auto, auto manufacturing. One of the oldest cars on display is a 1921 Ford Model T. Each year, the museum holds its annual spring car show, where they fire up the grill and serve their famous hamburgers. I didn't know they had famous Aww. hamburgers. Good for them. <laughs> good, yeah, good for you. Yeah. There's also the Holiday Springs Water Park, located on the Arkansas side, um, and the 1894 City Market, which is home to the 1894 Gallery, which showcases artwork from some of the area's most talented artists. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of parks, and there are lakes, and go them. That's what I got. Awesome. Now, I do have to say, I went to visit this place only because it literally straddles two states. How many <laughs> cities straddle two states? <laughs> That's fair, yeah. Yeah. Were you one of those kids that was like, I want to stand on a place where I could be in two places at once? Yes, but only because my mom told me stories of when she was my age and she did it. Ah. And I was like, I want to do that too. Because it was like the, um, the Michigan and Indiana line or something. Because she, she was like, and I would jump from... One state, and then I jump to the other state, and then I jump to one state, and then I jump to the other state, and I'm like, I'm jealous. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, I used to watch A Walk to Remember. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that movie? It sounds familiar, but I cannot even begin to tell you what it's about. It's the one with, fuck, what is her name? Uh, Rapunzel. Mandy Moore? Yes, the one with Mandy Moore and, fuck, what's that other kid's name? I don't know. But where she's, like, sick and, um... <gasps> that one! She, I love yeah. that one! Oh my god, and, it breaks yeah. my heart every time! <laughs> but that always made me think of that. I was like, it would be really cool to stand in two places at once. That's all you had to do was tell me she was really sick and there was that guy. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> I like how for for us that's um, a walk to remember. For a lot of other people, that's um, 
Fault in Our Stars. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> to be fair, I actually think I watched The Fault in Our Stars before I watched A Walk to Remember. Because A Walk to Remember, she dies, but in The Fault in Our Stars, she doesn't die. He dies. Yeah. Yeah. God, All I right, love what's that your story, movie? Rachel? Um, okay, so I'm going to say my sources first, so that I can just kind of get into it. Uh, my sources are wikipedia.org, texasmonthly.com, I feel like I'm too far away, texasmonthly.com. If you hear a cat meowing, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, texasmonthly.com, texarcanagazette.com, thelineup.com, medium.com, vault.fbi.gov. Oh. Oh, yes. Yes. I actually found this story by looking on um, archivegrid.com. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. This is an actual well-documented thing. (laughs) Cool. So, before, yeah, before I start, I do need to mention that there is a brief, very, well, not that brief, a brief mention of sexual assault that may be triggering for some listeners. So if that pertains to you, I advise that you fast forward about 10 minutes to a later part of my story or about 30 to 45 minutes to Grace's story. So, my story this week is that of the Texarkana Phantom Killer, also known as the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. So when I was doing history, you that found it actually popped up. Yeah. I was on the Wikipedia, and I was like, oh, I'm not gonna look through this just in case because I didn't know what story you were yeah. doing, and I didn't want to read through it. But I was like, that's a bomb ass name. Oh yeah, that's actually why I picked it because I was like, Phantom Killer, heck yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the crimes took place in between February twenty second, nineteen forty six. And May 3rd, 1946. And during that roughly 10-week period, eight people were attacked with only three survivors. Damn. (laughs) These murderers... I wrote murderers. I was about to say. (laughs) (laughs) These murderers. (laughs) These murderers. All eight of them. These murders were actually kind of a basis for the 1976 movie The Town That Dreaded Sundown, which I officially have to watch now. Yeah. So the first attack happened on Friday, February 22nd, 1946, at roughly 11.45 p.m. Jimmy Hollis and his girlfriend Mary Jean Laurie, Larry? had just left the theater and had parked themselves on a secluded road known to the locals as Lover's Lane. There's a Lover's Lane There's, everywhere, I swear. I used to live is. near one. Well, it was except the, called Lover's Lane. Yeah. No, this one is not called Lover's Lane. It's um it has some other name that I did not write down, but it's known as Lover's Lane. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because our Lover's Lane is like a cute little cul-de-sac. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so Lover's Lane is, like, so secluded. It's an old dirt road roughly 50 feet off of Richmond Road, 
and 100 yards from the last row of houses within the city. AKA the perfect place to kill somebody. That's not why it's called Lover Lane, but yes. <laughs> um, okay. I'm not wrong. <laughs> no, you're not wrong. You are completely right. But also, where I live, someone would say, oh, it's the perfect place to murder someone. Well, it used to be until they started building more houses, but whatever. It, At, it's still the perfect pl- place to kill someone. Pretty much, yeah. You're At very 11:50, secluded. <laughs> I'm very secluded. The rest of the neighborhood, not so much. <laughs> At 11.55, a man wearing a cloth mask which was later described as being similar to a pillowcase with holes cut out for eyes, appeared at the driver's side door and shined a flashlight at the couple, nearly blinding them. I'm sorry, that's absolutely terrifying. Yes, it is. Hollis, thinking that the man was pranking them, told told him that he had the wrong person, to which the masked man replied, I don't want to kill you, fellow, so do what I say. Oh, oh dear. Okay. (sighs) Yep. He ordered the two out of the car through the driver's door and ordered Hollis to remove his pants. After Hollis did as he was told, the man bludgeoned him twice in the head with (gasps) a pistol, fracturing his skull. Shit. Larry later said, I hate her name is, her last name is Larry or Laurie. How do you spell it? L-A-R-E-Y. Laurie. Larry? I know, that's why I keep saying Larry, but... Okay, Larry later said the sound... Ooh, Larry. I like that. Larry later said the sound of his skull fracturing was so loud that she thought the man had shot him. Mm. Thinking that they were being robbed. Larry... Larry showed the man Hollis's wallet. <laughs> you had to laugh, so I left. Larry <laughs> showed the man Hollis's wallet, which was empty, after which she was also struck in the head. Damn. The man then ordered her to stand up and run. She willfully complied and tried to run towards a ditch in an attempt to get away from the man. However, he stopped her and told her to run up the road instead. She again complied and found an old car parked up off of the road. Thinking that it might be another person who could help, she ran to it and looked inside but found it empty. Hmm? The man caught up to her and asked her why she was running, to which she replied, Uh, you told me to? (laughs) Right. He then, yeah. (laughs) He then called her a liar knocked her to the ground, and sexually assaulted her with the barrel of his gun. Jesus. When he was finished, Larry, Larry, Larry ran again, this time a half mile to the nearest house. She attempted to flag down a car that was passing by, however, they ignored her. Rude. She was able to somehow wake up the residents of that house and call the police. Sometime during all of this, Hollis regained his consciousness and flagged down a passing motorist on Richmond Road. The driver then left Hollis at the scene and went to a a nearby funeral home in order to call the police. 
Oh, I was like, what? At this point, two police calls have been made for okay. the same thing. Sorry, what year did you say this was? 1946. Within 30 minutes, Sheriff Bill Presley and three other officers were on the scene. However, the attacker was already gone. Both Hollis and LeRae were hospitalized for head head wounds. Hollis spent several days recovering from the fracture in his skull. Luckily, both survived. When asked by the police, the two apparently gave conflicting reports of what the man looked like. They both agreed that the man had been wearing the bag over his head with the eye holes cut out. They both agreed that he was roughly six feet tall. However, Lorray claimed that there was also a cutout for the mouth that she could see under the mask and that the man was an African-American. Hollis, on the other hand, swore up and down that the guy was white and about 30 years old. Oh. He did, however, admit that he could not really distinguish any features because he had been blinded by the flashlight. Yeah, okay. Yeah. The second attack occurred on March 24th, 1946, or rather, the bodies were found. Oh. Richard Griffin and Polly Ann Moore were found dead between 8.30 and 9 a.m. that day by a passing motorist. The motorist apparently saw the car parked on Lover's Lane again. Of course. Upon further inspection, he saw the couple and initially thought the two were sleeping. Griffin had been found between the front seats on his knees and with his head resting on, you know, his crossed hands, kind of like this. Something that was also mentioned was that his pockets were turned out. Okay. Odd thing for a sleeping person to do, turn their pockets out. Yeah. And Miss Moore was found face down in the back seat. Although there is evidence that she was shot outside of the car on a blanket and then placed back in the car. Oh. Griffin had been shot twice while still in the car. Both victims were shot once in the back of the head. And during initial analysis of the crime scene, they found congealed blood covering the floorboard and running board of the car and a 32 cartridge shell that was supposedly shot from a Colt pistol that was wrapped in a blanket. Uh Huh. Okay. Rumors spread that sexual assault had also occurred here. However, modern reports prove this claim wrong. Okay. Uh, I just thought that was interesting. I thought that was interesting too, but they really didn't delve into it. In response to the murders, police launched a citywide investigation, which included help from the Texas and Arkansas City Police, the Department of Public. Uh, It's okay, earlier I thought you were saying the yeet. We're getting help from the yeet. (laughs) The yeet. (laughs) The Department of Public Safety, the local sheriff's departments, and the FBI. By March 27th, local police had interviewed between 50 and 60 witnesses, including patrons and employees of the club that the couple had been seen exiting. On March 30th, the police had posted a $500 reward in efforts to gain any new information on the murder of the couple. This unfortunately led to over 100 false leads. Oh, fuck. That sucks. On the evening of April 13th, 1946, 
Betty Jo Booker, who was 15 at the time, had been playing her saxophone in her weekly gig at the VFW club when her friend Paul Martin picked her up at 1.30 the next morning. This was the last time that the two were seen alive. Only five hours later, Martin's body was found lying on its side by the northern edge of North Park Road by the Weaver family. Further down the road, a pool of blood was found, meaning that he had been moved or had walked from the actual assault site. He was shot four times through the nose, through the left fourth rib from behind, through the right hand, and through the back of the neck. Oh my god. That's so excessive. Mm -hmm. Booker wasn't found until 11.30, five hours after Martin had been found. The Boyd family and a friend, Ted Sheppy, found her behind a tree, nearly two miles from where Martin had been found. She was laying on her back, fully clothed, with her right hand in the pocket of her buttoned-up overcoat. She had been shot twice through the chest and the face. Oh, fuck. And it was noted that the weapon used on her was the same used on the first couple. The first murdered couple, sorry. Yeah, yeah. At this point, a reward fund was set up for over $1,700 for information leading to the person or persons responsible for the two murdered couples. That seems so weird to me, the way that the murderer is, like, placing their bodies. Right? I... (sighs) You go into it later? We'll see. (laughs) We'll see. Okay. On April... On April 18th, rumors began to spread that the local minister turned in his son as a suspect in the most recent murder. However, police held a press conference saying that the culprit had not been caught and that the rumors were a hindrance to the investigation and harmful to innocent persons. Oh, damn. Police calling people out for their, um, Somebody need did to not start like that shit. kid. Fuck. Nope. On May 3rd, just before 9 p.m., Virgil Starks had just settled in from a long day working on the farm. His wife, Katie, had given him a heating pad for his back as he sat in his armchair to listen to his favorite weekly radio show. Katie was in the bedroom just a few short feet away when she heard a noise coming from the backyard. She asked Virgil to turn down his radio, which he did. Mm-hmm. Um, only seconds later, he was then reading the Texarkana Gazette when two shots were fired into the back of his head from the closed double window three feet away. Oh, shit. Rather than hearing gunshots, Katie only heard the glass breaking. She initially thought that her husband had, you know, dropped and broken something. <laughs> we all do it. Yeah. <laughs> And she got up she got up to see what happened. But when she entered the doorway to the living room and saw her husband slumped over in his chair and blood just coming from his head, like oh. I can't imagine it was pretty. She ran to the phone to call the police. And this is one of those old wall crank phones. Oh, you know the ones that I'm talking shit. about? Like the ones where you crank the knob to get to dispatch and then you have mm-hmm. to tell them where you want to be directed to? Fuck. So she cranked it twice before she was shot 
twice from that same window. One of the bullets entered her right cheek and came out behind her left ear. Oh, fuck. Oof. The other went in just below her lip, completely shattering several teeth and breaking her jaw before it lodged itself under her tongue. Oh my god, that's so brutal. Yeah. After the initial shock of it all and falling to her knees briefly from the crippling pain, she got up and ran to get a pistol from the living room in order to try and protect herself from her attacker. She didn't die right from that? Mm -mm. However, she was a little blinded by the blood that was just covering her face. She then heard her attacker struggling with the old rusted screen wire on the back porch. And fearful that she was going to be killed, she stumbled to her bedroom to try and leave a note for whoever would find her. When she heard the person come through the window in the kitchen, she turned around and ran through the dining room, then the bedroom, then down a hallway, through another bedroom, and out the front door, leaving a, as one person described it, river of blood with every step. Barefoot and in a blood-soaked nightgown, she ran across the street to to her sister and brother-in-law's house. When no one answered, she ran another 50 yard to A.V. Pratter's house. And when he opened the door, Katie got out. Virgil's dead before collapsing. Shit. What? (sighs) Pratter then shot a rifle in the air to summon another neighbor, Elmer Taylor. They're just shooting rifles in the air to summon people. (laughs) That is what I got caught up on. For you. Right. Jesus. Um, (laughs) Taylor then brought over his car and he, Pratter, Mrs. Pratter, and their baby took Katie to the hospital. Poor Katie. She was in a semi-conscious state, slumped forward in the front seat when she tried to give Taylor one of her teeth that had a gold filling in it. Like, she was was just like, like thank you. Like, she was oh trying to pay him for, like, God. helping, and that's, like, breaks my heart. While she had lost a considerable amount of blood, Katie was showing no signs of going into shock, and her heart rate remained relatively normal. What a she fucking boss-ass bitch. Yes. Thankfully, she survived. Holy shit. <clears throat> that reminds me of the story I had where that woman was shot in the, in the eye. Right? Oh my god. Except that's so much worse. It's pretty bad. When investigators went back to the Starks' household, they found Mr. Starks had fallen on the floor, and the blood-soaked chair had caught fire from the heating pad. Oh, damn. One of those old-fashioned heating pads that you know catch fire. Oh, shit. (laughs) After... Look, (laughs) one of the officers, there was, like, conflicting reports on this. Apparently, one officer said that he was still sitting in the chair and there was smoke coming up from between his legs and the chair was on fire. That just didn't make sense to me. It made more sense that he fell over through the rush of everything that happened. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry, just that the imagining the scene... That would be awful to walk in on. I mean, already already awful to walk in on, but mm-hmm. to walk in 
see a man who's been murdered in that manner and also <laughs> see the chair around him going up in flames. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. After investigating the scene, officers believe that the attacker used an automatic rifle and after they shot Mr. Starks, they waited they waited outside to shoot Katie Starks. But these weren't the only clues that they found. Investigators found a flashlight in the hedge beneath the window that the couple was shot from. And a bloody shoe print from the attacker just, you know, blatantly walking around the house looking for Katie. Uh, mm. They, look, they even found a bloody fingerprint smudge. Oh. Yeah. This time, however, the caliber weapon was only 22. Hmm. So Sheriff Davis stated that this particular murder could not be directly connected with the Phantom Killer, but that it is possible that the killer is, you know, one and the same. Right, especially um, because of the victim profile. Yes, but you know, that's just a very conflicting statement. Like, it's not the killer, but it could be the killer. It's not for certain <laughs> who the killer is, but it could yeah. be, considering the fact he but went after a couple. Be. Yes. Those who had been driving in the area had been picked up and questioned, along with several men who were found in the vicinity. Early the next morning, bloodhounds were brought in. They found two trails that led to the highway before the scent was lost. That night, officers were patrolling Lover's Lane in order to prevent another attack from happening. Mm -hmm. Officers detained 12 suspects, but kept only three for further questioning. The night of Mr. Stark's death, the reward fund for information regarding the killer was raised to $7,025. Oh, wow. And you gotta think, this is 1946, so that's yeah. a good amount of money. Yeah. Many, many people are now involved at this point, and I literally could not find a better way to summarize than that. Like, there are so many cops trying to track down this killer. Sheriffs, I local police, that's FBI. a lot of people. Everyone has kicked, everyone's kicked in. <laughs> like, <laughs> they've all pitched in. That's what I meant to say. I said yes. kicked, but I meant kicked pitched. <laughs> yes, we're all just going to kick in this killer. Kick in um, the killer. Yes. On May 11th, Sheriffs Presley and Davis suggested raising a separate 250 250 $2,500 reward fund for information to help catch the killer of Virgil Starks. If it were the same person who committed the other murders, then the two reward funds would be combined for more than $10,000. Oh, shit. A month later, after still no leads, Virgil's father contributed another $50 to the reward. However, by November of 1948, authorities no longer felt the murder of Virgil Starks and attempted murder of Katie Starks were in any way connected to the other double murders. How? So, they were literally... The other double murders, the second double murder, that one was almost as brutal as that one. Right? The reason, the reason that they felt like it was not connected to the other murders is because it was happened at their house. Like, they were specifically that, picked out. Yeah, that's right. That's a huge yeah. change. Yeah. On top of that, this was a couple who were in the 30s. They were married. You know, they weren't yeah. dating. They weren't trying to, you know, sneak around. 
this was a couple with a settled life and home and I don't know I would see that as an escalation but I mean I guess that makes sense I would too but you got to think from like a their their profiling standpoint yeah. so during this whole time the media is having just a field day putting the fear of god into the good southern folk <laughs> saying that the killer could strike again at any moment at any place at anyone this was the time of you know people just leaving their windows and doors unlocked mm-hmm. but because of this residents began locking their doors pulling shades down blocking windows and arming themselves with guns. Some went as far as kneeling sheets down and windows shut. Stores soon began to sell out of any type of home locking, home privacy, and safety materials. Some residents were now looking for guard dogs. I want to say I typed guard gods. Guard gods. (laughs) Alright, I mean... I might have been half asleep. That would have been really helpful. Yes, I might have been half asleep when I was (laughs) typing this. Um, (laughs) And would not go out past dark. Same. This put a real damper on business in the area and everyone was on edge. People were, like, they were so on edge that they started creating booby tracks for... Booby traps? Booby traps for any (laughs) possible... Um, booby traps for any possible home invaders like i'm thinking home alone they home alone did oh man <laughs> okay but here's the other part teenagers man mm-hmm. they're brutal yeah. teenagers would still park alone on the deserted streets in an attempt to catch the phantom <gasps> killer no on their own an arkansas state trooper came upon a parked car one night And when they approached, the officer noticed a couple and said to them, I am Tillman Johnson with the Miller County Sheriff's Department. Aren't you scared to be parked out here at night? To which the girl replied, you're the one that ought to be scared, mister. It's a good thing you told me who who you were. She then revealed to him that she had been pointing a twenty-five caliber pistol at him the whole time. Fuck yeah. Oh, man. Teenagers, man. Oh, I love them. <laughs> that's I love them, but I story. hate them. That's it's amazing. Um, okay, there is actually one other body that was found on May seventh, nineteen forty-six. So, how far after the that last attack was it? Four days later. Oh. Four days later. Um. The body of a man was found on the Kansas City Southern Railway, tra- Railway tracks, 16 miles north of Texarkana. He was laying face down on the tracks, and his left arm and leg had been severed and cut off by a passing train. <gasps> During the autopsy, the coroner declared that the man had been murdered, and a blood spot found on the street near the tracks kind of pointed to that as well. Um, but no... No, the officers in charge said that it was likely the man fell out of the train and dra- and died from blood loss after having his limbs cut off. The coroner stuck with his theory when a second autopsy was performed and they found evidence of knife wounds. It is, it is rumored that this man, who was discovered to be Maryland native Earl Cliff McSpaden, 
was the killer's sixth victim. That's interesting to me because he's been going after couples up until that point. Yeah, so I think that's one of the main reasons why the sheriff was like, no, this isn't, no, no. But what they said was double shit because that guy, you could have just said it's a completely different individual, not, oh, I'm sure it wasn't murder. Right. Right. Because up until that point, their murderer used guns, not knives or a train. Not knives. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So in this case, I'm like, yeah, no, this guy is not related to those murders, but he was definitely murdered. (laughs) Yeah. So the prime suspect in all of this, even though they questioned like 400 people, was... You will Sweeney. Uh, in fact, in order to save face during, due to being caught with a stolen vehicle, his wife, Mrs. Peg Sweeney, admitted that you will had confessed to the attacks in privacy hey. to her. Police listened to her claims and there were details that had not been made public. Oh. For instance, the car that Miss um, Sweeney had been arrested for stealing had been reported missing the night of the Griffin Moore killings. When Sweeney was caught, like initially, uh, he said, please don't shoot me. At which point the investigator said, I'm not going to shoot you for stealing cars. And then Sweeney said, Mr. Don't play games with me. You want me for more than stealing cars. Oh. When he was in the police car, he asked the deputy, Mr. Johnson, what do you think they'll do to me for this? Will they give me the chair? To which he responded, you won't get much, maybe five or ten years. They don't give you the electric chair for stealing cars. Which he again said, Mr. Johnson, you got me for more than stealing cars. Oh. Like, this guy is not being real clever about this. No. (laughs) When a lawyer told Peggy, the original person who was arrested for the... Yeah, his his wife, Car thief, whatever. His wife, yeah. When a lawyer told her that her husband was being held for murder, she exclaimed, How did they find out? Uh, Besides the fact that you ratted him out. (laughs) I don't understand how he he could evade police for so long and then get arrested for something else and be like, Oh, you got me. Yeah, oh, you got me. I feel like that's how it usually happens, though. Like, you get arrested for something dumb. I guess you're right. Yeah. I guess because you're, you're probably, like, thinking, like, oh, I'm, like, spending so much time thinking I can't let them find out about this, and then you get caught, and you're like, you get caught know done. about this. Yeah. Uh, Peggy also took officers near the spot where Martin's car had been found. Oh. Like, if you remember, I don't know if I said it or not, Martin and his girlfriend were found very far away from the car, like, two, three miles yeah, you said they weren't in their car. I didn't know I said, how far away they were, though. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I said it. I don't remember saying it, though. I don't know if you did either. I don't know. What's even funnier is that she said she had walked into the woods there, and the officers did find a woman's heel print in the area. Oh. Not to mention that her family and her brother, not her brother-in-law, um, Yule's brother-in-law, so her her brother, Mm -hmm. uh, thought that Yule was the phantom killer. Police also found a khaki work shirt in the suspect's room with, oh, I didn't read this part. 
Okay, sorry. Police found a khaki work shirt in Yule's room with a laundry mark of the words dark, which was read under a black light. What? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the front pocket of the work shirt, slag was found, which matched samples found in Virgil Stark's welding shop. What? I don't know what slag is. What is slag? I don't... Hey, Google. <clears throat> what is slag? According to Wikipedia, slag is the glass-like byproduct left over after a desired metal has been separated from its raw ore. Oh, Slag is okay. usually a mixture of metal oxides and silicon dioxide. However, slags can contain metal sulfides and elemental metals. Well, there you have it. All right. (laughs) Sweeney also previously owned a 32 caliber Colt automatic, but had sold it in a craps game. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It says craps. What is craps? Uh, I've heard of craps. I don't know how you play it, though. Okay. We'll have to look into that. Um, Something else that didn't. Hey, Google, what is craps game? According to Wikipedia, craps is a dice game in which the players make wagers on the outcome of the roll or a series of rolls of a pair of dice. Players may wager money against each other or a bank. Because it requires little equipment, street craps can be played in informal settings. Oh, okay. I've heard of craps and I know of that game. I just didn't know that they were the same. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Because they were also playing that in Road to El Dorado. Cool. Um, (laughs) While he was being accused of murder, he remained silent instead of pleading his innocence. Hmm. Which is another giant red flag. And on top of that, his wife confessed to her husband's actions, uh, revealing some very detailed information, see above, including the information that the officers knew and some that they didn't know oh of course they did not go into it but you know whatevs however is when however's however's however <laughs> however when they took his fingerprints and matched it to the ones found at the scene they didn't match oh what they did not match and at this point mrs sweeney recanted her confession and Mr. Sweeney never confessed while but he was not convicted of the murders. Yeah. I'd... Hold on. We you still go. have you four go. pages. <laughs> while he was not convicted of the murders, he was convicted of car theft and had to serve life in prison. But look, he served life in prison for car theft. <laughs> But after he was put in prison, no other murders happened. So there then is whose something fingerprint to say. That. Was that? Could it have been hers? Could have been. There is a theory that she helped. That's one of the theories that she helped with it. And if it wasn't, maybe it could have been. Um, what was the the woman that um, was shot that survived? Could it have been hers? Katie Starks. No, it was not her hmm. fingerprint. That's one of the first things they check. And they didn't check her fingerprint? Mm. Sorry, it's going to bother me. You go. In 
I know. In 1999, apparently, an anonymous woman contacted family members of two of the victims and apologized for what her father had done. (gasps) So, Yul Sweeney did not have a daughter? And it's unclear as to whether or not this was just a cruel joke or an actual confession. There are some other suspects that are notable contenders. On November 5th, 1948, 18-year-old Henry Booker Duty Tennyson was found dead by poisoning. He had purchased a... Mercury cyanide only two days before, telling the shopkeeper that he was going to use it for rat poison. A note uh, was found that read, The opening to my box will be found in the following few lines. In a tube of paper is found, rolls on color, and it is dry and sound. The head removes, the tail will turn, and inside is the, the sheet you yearn. Two bees mint a lot when they are together, these clues should lead you to it. What? So, this was a note that led to a note that was inside of a fountain pen with the initials BB on it. Uh, poison was found on the cap of the pen, and the note inside contained clues to the combination of a lockbox. However, police were not wanting to play games, and they just broke into the lockbox. Of course. <laughs> Inside was a Viewmaster. Um, do you remember what those are? I thought you said Hugh Hugh Baster. <laughs> I was like, what is a Hugh Baster? Okay. Uh, it's a Hugh Bastard, Grace. Hello. Uh, Viewmaster. Okay. Uh, was a Viewmaster with several rolls of film of Mexico and a stack of papers. On the bottom of the stack of papers was a note confessing to the Texarkana killings. It read... To whom it may concern, this is my last word to you fine people, and you are fine. (laughs) I want to thank you for all the trouble that you have gone to, to send me to college and to bring me up. You have really been wonderful. My thanks to Ella Lee, Mrs. McGee, the owner of the house uh, he was rooming in, for letting me stay with her during my college career, and to Belva Jo, Mrs. McGee's 12-year-old daughter, For putting up with me in the way she did, she had to, I know, but I fell in love with her about a week ago. If she was older, I would have asked her to marry me, but that would be impossible. Why did I take my own life? Well, when you committed two double murders, you would too. Yes, I did kill Betty Jo Booker and Paul Martin in the city park that night. And I killed Mr. Starks and tried to get Mrs. Starks. You wouldn't have guessed it. I did when Mother was either out or asleep, and no one saw me do it. For the guns, I disassembled them and discarded them in different places. When I am found, which has already been done, please give this typewriter to Craig, Tennyson's older brother, and tell him that I hope that his child is a boy. It will help him in his work. Everything can go wherever you think it will do best, except for the Viewmaster, which will go to Belva Joe. Please take my bankroll and give it to Daddy. I think it should go to him and tell him I don't want the car now. <laughs> well, no shit. 
Well, goodbye everyone. See you sometime if I make the grade, which will be hard for me to make. H.B. Tennyson. So, a lot going on there. Yeah. He had handwritten many drafts of this before finally typing it out. Uh, he had even written possible newspaper headlines for the discovery of his body in his own epitaph. Wow. Which he wanted to read. Here lies H.B. Tennyson, born February 12th, 1930, died October 2nd, 1948. He committed suicide for the happiness of his family. May he rest in peace. Amen. What? Many other notes were found, but the officers put in charge of the investigation were were unable to determine which order they had been written in. Tennyson had never been a suspect, but but authorities claimed a full detailed investigation would be made. Mrs. Bessie Brown, who was Booker's mother, visited Tennyson's mother to offer sympathy, claiming that she did not believe Tennyson was the cause of her daughter's death. They did take his fingerprints to try and match with those found at the scenes. However, they did not. Mm. And in another note that was found that kind of disproves the original note, read, Please disregard all other messages which I have written. They are only thoughts which I was thinking about as possible reasons for taking my own life. As I think about it, it is none of these things... They are not the reasons for this incident. For this incident, there's a much later point to it all. Happiness. Yes, happiness. If I am out of the way, all of the family can get down to their own lives. Mother will not have to worry about me making my grades, and Daddy will not have to put out more money on me, which would do no more good than it did in high school. No one will have to worry about me. Keep having to push me through the things which would be best for me. After much thought, I decided to take this way out. It took more thought than anyone can think possible. It started about a week ago when I began to think of a way to get out of this. Running away would not do any good. The police would find me wherever I went and would bring me back to it all. No, mother and daddy are not to blame. It is just me. If I had done what they told me to do, this wouldn't have never happened. Studying instead of playing around, going out with people in my age group instead of staying home and dreaming. On top of this note, a friend claimed that uh, Tennyson had been with him the night of the Starks attack. Also, during this attack, the kid would have only been 16. Hmm. He did not know how to drive. And a lot of 16-year-olds are really scrawny. So sorry if you're 16 and listening to this. I also swear you better have your parents' permission to be listening to us. But my point is, while it's possible, the description of the suspect were not that of a 16-year-old. Also, to be those fair, notes... My brother does not look like a 16-year-old. No, he does not. But most 16-year-olds, not all 16-year-olds. Yeah. Some 16-year-olds genuinely look like full-grown men, and it's terrifying. And some 16-year-olds but- <laughs> look like they're 12. That too. But these notes point to him really being more depressed and he was just trying to make it seem like suicide was the only option. Hmm. Not so much that he actually did the crimes. It's insane. I I don't understand why he would pretend like he... 
I guess. So that when they tell his family, his family would see it as a logical reason to kill himself rather than just being unhappy, rather than just being depressed, rather than just being suicidal. But that last note that I just read shows signs of a truly, truly depressed individual. Yeah. Yeah. And the first note was just to cover it all up. So, moving on. On May 8th, 1946, we're backing up a couple years. Mm -hmm. It was announced that a German prisoner of war was a suspect. He had apparently stolen a car in Mount Ida, Arkansas, and attempted to buy ammunition in several eastern Oklahoma towns. Late the night before, so the 7th, a 45-year-old black man named Herbert Thomas was flagged down by a hitchhiker in Kilgore. The man offered him $5 and claimed he needed a ride to Henderson because his mother was seriously ill. Thomas, who would normally never pick up a hitchhiker, was moved by the man's story and agreed. When they got close to Henderson, the hitchhiker pulled out a pistol and told Thomas to keep driving or he would kill him, like the five people he killed in Tar Texarkana. Ooh. Even mentioning Paul Martin and Betty Jo Booker by name. Ooh. The man claimed to not be done killing and that Martin's father was next. So this guy didn't know, however, that Martin's father had already passed away. Mm. Um, the man then told Thomas to turn around in Lufkin and drive him back to Kilgore, threatening if Thomas followed him, he would trail and kill him. Oh, Jesus. Um, yeah. He then stole back the $5 from Thomas along with $3 extra. Okay. Thomas dropped the man off, then promptly drove to the police to, to report it. He described the man as being 5'8 and about 130 pounds, 27 or 28 years old, with red hair, wearing khakis, and a GI jacket. Although the police felt that if the man had been responsible for those deaths, he wouldn't have let Thomas go after confessing like that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it's different if it's like a husband confessing to a wife. That. Right, but I feel like yeah. in that instance, it was probably just uh, that man trying to scare him. Yes. Personally, I agree. Um... However, they did continue their search for the prisoner of war, but ultimately could not find him, stating that he had vanished into thin air. Mm. On May 10th in Atoka, Oklahoma, a man walked up to a woman's house and opened the screen door. He asked her if he could have some turpentine food and money. When the woman told the man that she didn't have any of that, he grabbed her by the hair and pulled her out onto the porch. He said that he might as well kill her because he had already killed three or four others and that he would rape her. He then heard a horse come galloping towards them and told her, there comes a man on a horse. If you report this to officers, I'll come back and kill you. Jeez. After the man was gone, she grabbed her child and ran to a neighbor's house and reported it to the police. Good woman. Um, a search for the man was put in place. She described him as 5'9 to 5'10, white, about 40 to 50 years old, and 100 to 155 pounds with dark hair and was badly in need of a shave. Ooh. 
so scruffy. (laughs) He had carried an open five-inch blade pocket knife and was wearing gloves, a well-worn and faded blue shirt, khakis, and an old, dirty, dark floppy hat. Floppy hat. Floppy hat. Well, she said flopped. But when oh. I when I read flopped, I just thought of those hats that just kind of move when you walk. <laughs> yeah. Um, they did capture a man who kind of matched her description. He was 33 and for sure had all the same clothes as described. Mm. Uh, but he was clean shaven and the knife he carried was not five inches. To everyone listening, my dog has joined... Um, You may hear the little pitter-patter of toenails. He's so cute. (laughs) They investigated him and did not believe he could be the phantom killer because he he was bumming around the country and was not in Texarkana during the killing of Virgil's Darks. Okay. Officers said that they would thoroughly check his story and kept him in jail for three weeks to allow his beard to grow back so that Mrs. Harmon, who was the woman who was attacked, could definitively identify him as her attacker. Mm. Then on May 23, 1946, 21-year-old ex-Army Air Force B-24 machine gunner Ralph B. Bauman told the L.A. police that he thought he might be the phantom killer. He thought? He thought. Um, he had been in a coma, and according to him, he was running from something. Maybe murder. I want to clear it up. Uh, what? If I... Because if he didn't kill five people in Texarkana, he wanted to settle down and become a stuntman in Hollywood. Like, he's trying to clear his con- Aww. (laughs) That was precious. Like, he's trying to clear his consciousness. Like, if he killed five people, he doesn't want to go to Hollywood. I kind of get it, but also- Why would he think Are you sure? That- I'll continue. Okay. Uh, He had apparently previously gone to the L.A. Examiner and told a reporter that he wanted to sell some murder information. He claimed that he knew who and where the Texarkana killer was, and after reading what the man provided, which read, On a certain day in March, I was in Texarkana Theater watching a Pathé News picture of war when a party of persons acted wise and said they were overacting. It kind of got me. I followed them home and I killed them within a period of three days. Um, Police then arrested him at a downtown shooting gallery after he shot his 23rd bullseye in a row with a 22 caliber rifle. Hmm. Bauman claimed that he had hitchhiked to LA after waking up on May 3rd from a coma and his rifle was missing. He felt that he fit the description of the killer. He then claimed that he was discharged from the Air Force in 1945 for being psychoneurotic, which many believe the killer must have been. Unfortunately, there was no hard evidence, and this was the case with a lot of confessions made by many people. Probably one of the funniest false confessions, though, is that... Bless you. 
Is that what that was? <laughs> yes. Jesus. Um, is that of local Texarkana drunk? No name was given. So sorry, because I actually really need to know his name. The man had been in Shreveport's police custody after confessing to the murders of all five victims to an undercover reporter. The reporter had promised the man a fifth of whiskey if he could tell all. When the sheriff of Texarkana arrived to investigate the man, he called him out by name saying, You know you didn't kill those people. What'd you go and do this for? To which the drunkard replied, Well, hell, I got a fifth of whiskey out of it. So, unfortunately, the phantom killer was never found. And that's the story. (sighs) That was a really... I feel like you should have (laughs) known. I mean, I I I knew that there was going to be no, like, resolution. But, um... Yeah. Damn. I am so sorry that I had an unsolved, like, I didn't know it was unsolved when I started researching it. I feel like that's very common I was like, oh, it really is. Yeah. (laughs) Because, like, I started going with it, and I was like, oh, this has a lot of information to it. This has to be solved. All the way to the bottom this morning. And they never found the killer. God freaking damn it. Eh, it's fine. Okay, what is... Your story or stories. My story is the folk monster or the the foggy creek monster. Oh. We haven't had a cryptid in a while, I feel like. No, we haven't. So, found one today. All right. So, my sources are Wikipedia, folkmonster.net, Atlas Obscura, tie-dye-travels.com and an encyclopedia of arkansas.net. Tie-dye-travels.com? Yes. Heck yeah. It's, okay. Yeah. Um, Sounds so, like a hippie website. I, I love it. Uh, yeah, I think it's somebody's blog. <laughs> it sounds like a hippie website. I love it. Um, so, I should mention folk is spelled F-O-U-K-E. Folk? folk? Yeah. So I not looked folk? it up. It's pronounced Folk. folk. Yeah. Folk. Not folk. Right. Not folk. Folk. I'm not just... Like a good old-fashioned folk singer. (laughs) You're right. So, um... The folk monster is described similarly to Bigfoot. Witnesses describe the creature as being a seven-foot-tall humanoid creature with long, dark hair all over its body, weighing around 250 to 300 pounds, but the creature's chest is said to be, like, three feet wide. That's weird. Like, they're big and wide. Um, that's weird. Yeah. All right, so some witnesses describe the folk monster as running swiftly with a galloping gait and swinging its arms similar to a monkey. With a galloping gait. I am now yes. thinking of a, of a um, orangutan hopping around like a horse. <laughs> I do like orangutans. Reports also describe it as having a terrible odor, like a mixture of a skunk and a wet dog. Mm -hmm. One person, I I watched a video, um, and one person said that it was similar to, like, the smell of a fox den. I have never smelled a a smox. I've never smelled a fox (laughs) den. 
<laughs> well, it um apparently smells pretty bad. Oh, um, I'm just guessing. Musky. It supposedly has red eyes the size of silver dollars. Oof. Okay. Yeah. There have been footprints discovered that are that are thought to belong to the folk monster. One set reportedly measuring 17 inches in length and seven inches wide. Mm. That is longer than your forearm. That's, that's and yeah. like probably twice or three times as wide. <laughs> um, How long is it? Seven inches. Hold on. 17 inches long. Um, that is longer than my forearm because this is 16 inches. That's what I said. It's longer than your forearm. <laughs> and how wide? Seven. Seven. So that is actually triple yeah. arm width. Yeah. So uh, another set showed that the creature only had three toes. That's new. Right. It's a bird. The first reported sightings I could find were in 1953 and in 1955 when it was seen by a 14-year-old boy. He described it as having reddish-brown hair, sniffing the air, and apparently it didn't even react when he tried to shoot it. Uh, One investigator, Joe Nickel, said that that kind of sounds just like a misidentified black bear. I mean, yeah. Yeah, but also it sounds like typical Bigfoot sighting. Yeah. Locals say that although most cases are from the 1970s onward, an ape-like creature had roamed the area since 1964, oh. but those sightings weren't reported to news services. Other local legends say that they were as far back as 1946 in Jonesville, and it was even known as the Jonesville Monster at the time. Oh, really? Yeah. Not only do they go back to 1946, they seem to go back to the 1800s. Do you have any yeah. stories? Mm, vague ideas. Vague ideas. Um, okay. There was a report in the Memphis Enquirer in 1851 and in, a, in the Caddo Gazette, but there were, uh, and apparently there were sightings back in 1834 when people started to report large, hairy, a large, hairy, wild man roaming around Arkansas. Okay. So May 1st, 1971... Bobby Ford reported that he was attacked at his house by a hairy creature that breathed heavily, had red eyes, and moved very fast. A hairy creature that breathed heavily. That yes. um... Ford's wife, Elizabeth, claimed that she was asleep in the front room and woke up to see a hairy arm with claws coming through the window. She also saw the creature's red eyes. Ford and his brother had just returned from a, a camping trip when they heard Elizabeth scream, and they chased the animal off. Aww. They returned that night at midnight. Oh. Yeah. Ford no. said that the, the man-like creature, which is about seven feet tall and three feet across the chest, put its arm around his shoulder and grabbed him. Oh, Ford no. somehow broke free from the creature and ran, reporting that he ran so fast that he didn't stop to open the front door, but barreled right through it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, he was treated at a... i run right through the door. Yeah, I'm just gonna run through the door. <laughs> he was treated at a St. Michael hospital in Texarkana and treated for large gashes across his back and for shock. Mm-hmm. Obviously. They had shot the creature... 
or shot at the creature multiple times, and they thought that they hit it, but the investigators never found blood. The sheriff's department searched the area and only found a strange set of footprints with only three toes and scratches from claws on the Ford's porch, siding, and windows of the house. So, uh, something happened. Yeah. It sounds like a bear. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, but also bears do have more than three feet. Three feet. Three toes. Three toes. Right. According to the Fords, they had heard something moving around outside late at night several nights before this happened. Mm -hmm. But they lived in the house for less than a week at this point. So they had never encountered anything like that before. Mm. But, okay, they'd only lived there less than a week. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't have encountered it. It's been more than a week since I saw the fox. Right. So wildlife. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Jim Powell, uh, then a reporter for the Texarkana Gazette and the Texarkana Daily News, and Dave Hall, then director of Texarkana radio station KTFS, went to Mm -hmm. the Ford's place and found the family moving out of the house (laughs) after less than a week of living there. That is going to affect your taxes. I mean, that's going to suck. I don't blame them at all, though. Like, if that Mm-mm. really happened, I'd Absolutely. be, I'd I be gone them. if I could. Mm-hmm. Like, that would suck. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And yep. plus, that kind of lends a little bit of, like... Validity to, to it. their story. But yeah, like, yeah. because... Why would you They were so afraid they had to move out. Yeah. Yeah. So... Powell wrote an article that appeared in the newspaper outlining the family's uh, sighting and attack. The next day, both the Texarkana Gazette and the Texarkana Daily published the same follow-up story, which contained the first reference to the name Folk Monster. Folk Monster. It became really popular at that point and started getting spread all over the country. Mm -hmm. The creature was spotted again on May 23rd, 1971, so just a couple of weeks later, when... Three people, wait, that was three weeks later, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, So three people, D.C. Woods, no, D.C. Woods Jr., Wilma Woods, and Mrs. R.H. Sedgas reported seeing an ape-like creature crossing U.S. Highway 71. More sightings were made over the following months by local residents and tourists who found more footprints. Mm-hmm. Most of them had either three or four toes, which is still weird. <laughs> That's so weird. It's a chicken yeah. Bigfoot. It's the Bigfoot chicken. <laughs> We've already had chicken or uh, turkey squash. Bigfoot duck. Uh, true, we did have squ- turkey squash. We could yeah. definitely have the Bigfoot chicken. <laughs> This one said it was more like an ape, so... But, oh. Mm, so, I don't know. Mm, the best-known uh, footprints were found in a soybean field belonging to a local filling station owner, Scott Keith. They were scrutinized mm-hmm. by game warden Carl Galen, who was unable to confirm or deny their authenticity. Sketch. Yes. And, like, the Ford Prince, they also only had three toes, which it really is just throwing me off. <laughs> because three toes are a sign of, typically, bird. 
not mammal. You would think. Not, not mammal, not reptile, bird. It's weird. I I can't explain it. The creature began to attract substantial interest in the early 1970s. Soon after news spread about the Ford sighting, uh, the Little Rock, Arkansas radio station KAAY posted a $1,090 bounty on the creature. Ooh. Ooh. I would like that. (laughs) (laughs) I would like that. Several attempts were... You like that? I would like that bounty. You would like the bounty. Gotcha. (laughs) I mean, same. Same. Several attempts were made to track the creature with dogs, but they were unable to follow its scent. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting to me. Uh, unless it just smelled so much like the great outdoors that, that Maybe. They, they couldn't pin it. I... I don't know. When hunters began to take interest in the folk monster, Miller County Sheriff Leslie Greer was forced to put a temporary no-guns policy in place in order to preserve public safety. Yeah. I it mean, was smart. that big of a deal. In yeah. 1971, three people were fined $59 each for filing a fraudulent monster report. The Legend of Boggy Creek... <laughs> The movie came out in 1972, and it ended up drawing in about 22 million dollars. But for a while, sightings died down until about March 1978, when tracks were reportedly found by two brothers prospecting in Russellville, Arkansas. There Did they still only in... have three toes? I don't know. It didn't say anything about them. <laughs> There were also sightings in Center Ridge, Arkansas, and on June, June 26th of the same year, a sighting was reported on Crossit, Arkansas. Over the years, uh, if animal, it's insane. If animals went missing, or if a dog came back and it had been attacked, then people would just blame the folk monster. Well, yeah, of course. Since the um, initial sightings during the 1970s, there have been sporadic reports of the creature. In 1991, the creature was reportedly seen jumping from a bridge. And in 1997, there were 40 reported sightings. None Why? Of which, I don't know. Why so but there many? There weren't stories for any of these. Oh my and god. In, 19, in 1998, the creature was reportedly sighted in a dry creek bed five miles south of Folk. Unfortunately, um... One month after the Ford sighting, Southern State College archaeologist Frank Schimbach determined that there was a 99% chance that the tracks were a hoax. Ooh, that is a big percentage. Big percentage there. He said that the trucks... Tracks. The tracks. (laughs) He said that... I I typed trucks, and I was like, why would I... mm." He said that the tracks couldn't be from an ape for various reasons. All primates and hominids have five toes, where this creature Mm -hmm. had three. Also, he said there was no history of primate activity in the area, and this creature seems to be nocturnal, whereas primates are the complete opposite. Yeah. You know, like... Oh, yeah, they sleep at night, awake during the day. Yeah. Right. So, by 1986, the mayor of Folk, Virgil Roberts, and former Miller County Sheriff Leslie Greer were of the opinion that the alleged Folk monster tracks were man-made. 
Greer's working colleague at the time, Chief Deputy H.L. Phillips, said that he had not taken calls regarding the monster in years, as he doesn't believe the creature exists. He said, quote, I don't believe in it, but I'd say you don't argue with people who say they've seen it. Many were very respectable and responsible folks. We have encountered that a lot when it comes to similar to Bigfoot sightings. I watched a video on YouTube that um, were these people who had been mainly out hunting. Mm -hmm. And when they would smell something like... Musty. Yeah. Yeah. And they would... Then they would see this huge creature watching them. And it was a creature that they'd never seen before. It was weird as fuck. And then it would just leave. But yeah, all of the people that were being interviewed in this video that I watched all seemed fairly normal and not, like, wild. I don't know. Like, they all seemed not very like, confused as to what it could be. Yeah. Because they have that analytical mind, and it's like, what is this? It, it seemed like that. I mean, it, obviously, they could just be, like, saying stuff because they want, like, five minutes of fame or whatever. But, oh, yeah. I don't know. So, other than The Legend of Boggy Creek that came out in 1972, a second folk monster film, Return to Boggy Creek, was filmed and released in 1977. It wasn't a sequel, but standalone. Uh, in 1985, <laughs> a third folk monster movie came out titled Boggy Creek 2, and the legend continues, which actually was intended to be a sequel of that first movie. Okay. <laughs> there was also Boggy Creek, The Legend is True, that came out in 2010, and The Legacy of Boggy Creek, which came out in 2011. Lyle Blackburn released a book in 2012, The Beast of Boggy Creek, The True Story of the Folk Monster, which prompted an investigation by Animal Planet. There's also the Folk Monster Mart, where you can learn about the folk monster and buy souvenirs, so similar to, like, the Mothman Museum. Yes! Yeah. That's what, that and, is uh, exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. And it looks really funny. Like, you should look up pictures of it, because it's, it's funny. Um, but, uh, that's my story. So, it's Southern Bigfoot. Seems to be, except it Southern seems Bigfoot. more, um, seems more like orangutan-ish, but with three toes. Yeah, the three toes is just weird. Unless maybe it had, like, a toe, like, amputated from for some On reason. On both feet? Uh, maybe it got caught in a I trap. Know. I don't know. Or birth defect. Uh, Who knows? Or it could be Who a hoax. I don't know. But, uh, or it's a hoax. <clears throat> the but that's Boggy right. Creek Monster. Yes. Yep. Okay, well that was fun. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Myths and Misfortunes. Or Twitter at Myths and Misfortune. Or you can search for us using our full name, Myths and Misfortunes. We do pop up. Also, shoot us an email to mythsandmisfortunes at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Also, please come visit our website, mythsandmisfortunes.com. We're going to start working on that and trying to make that better for you all. 
Yes. Our theme music was composed by McKean Fulbright, and our art was created by Heather Marie Atkins. Please, please, please check them out. Their websites can be found in the description below. They're talented. Do it. Also, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. We'd really appreciate it. Oh. Oh, that's you. (laughs) All right, and thanks so much for listening, guys. Yes, thank you. Bye.